Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, the vibe's a little different in the studio today. <laughs> uh, it's just me and brother Chris Legg. That's right. Across the table from me. Uh, Chris, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing great. This is this is easier without John and and uh, Paul. <laughs> Who's the other guy? I'm Chris. He's, he's Paul. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Super easy. Um, so Chris and I were just talking. Um, we didn't get to touch on a whole lot of First Peter um, this last Sunday because we spent a, a decent amount of time reiterating stuff about hospitality. Yep. And how we're we're really excited, honestly, that we're able to move back toward our normal model of hospitality. Do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I I don't know that anyone would be listening to this who didn't, who wasn't here on Sunday or whatever. But man, I'm excited about us getting back to our normal meet and greet to really having everybody out and about. I, yeah, I worry a little bit about that. There may be a few people who that's going to scare off Yeah, for a week or two, maybe, I don't know, who are still just not quite there. Um, I know we had a few people who this was their first Sunday back, mm-hmm. actually last Sunday. And so I'm definitely a little worried that they may, you know, oh my gosh, my first Sunday back, and I find out my second Sunday back, we're going to be doing meet and greet. Yeah. We may just have a few people who show up late. You know, it's not it's not hard to miss meet and greet or yeah. to kind of stall somewhere, you know. But and that's fine. We totally understand that. Yeah. Um but, but man, it's time. Yeah. And it's baked into our culture. It is. Of our church. Hospitality is one of our pillars and the way that we can do that and what can set us apart or what does set us apart from other people around here at least. Yep. And what we hope for is to be hospitable and to be welcoming. Oh my gosh, to other yes. People. You know, we had, I don't know if you if you remember, it's been now a year and plus, yeah. but sometime around a year ago, maybe, maybe a little more, we actually had some people visit and send in something about their frustrations about the lack of hospitality. Yeah. And it was, it was almost, it wasn't, it was like right after we started doing just small, like 250 only or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I sent something, I sent an email back saying, man, I, I hear you, yeah. and there's some extenuating circumstances. <laughs> like, I promise it's not it's, normally it's, like yeah, this. Exactly. We're <laughs> we're not exactly at our best here. Like anyway, so that. that was one of the things people talked about. That was one of the hardest things about a, a pandemic is that it 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 in a weird way turned us into each other's enemies. Yeah. But who I had to be mainly afraid of was everyone else, and that I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like the feel of that. I don't like that. And I, I feel like we did a pretty good job of of managing to communicate. No, no. I mean, COVID may be an enemy, but you aren't. Right. And yes, you might have COVID, but that doesn't somehow turn you into the right. bad guy. And there's something. a reason why we're why we had shifted to that model of not meeting meeting and greeting in that way, right? Like, because it was for other safety um, in those moments. So that was that. We were really excited to to touch on that, and so we'll be kind of reinstating that this coming Sunday, which we're excited about. Yep. Um, and then we we talked really really you were you kind of camped out in First Peter one seventeen you talked about uh, father and father, stuff like right. that but one thing that I want to get to is yep. I, I looked ahead in the notes um, and you talked about justice yep um, justice versus injustice talk about impartial justice and stuff like that I know that in our culture um, today that is such a hot topic justice social justice. Um, I mean, yep. there's you can put any prefix to that, and so I would love to to kind of camp out on on that topic. Yeah, for a little while. I saw an interesting, 
I guess it was a meme or something, but it was a quote from an African-American author saying that justice does not have any modifiers. Justice is just justice. Mm. And the minute you put a modifier in front of it, you've changed it into something else. So when you call it some other type of justice now, and I didn't know for a long time, I think like I, like most people thought of social justice as just, I mean, building houses for people who don't have houses, like doing good things for the community. Yes. (laughs) And from that definition, obviously there's nothing wrong with that concept that, that, that we would call that charity or serving or, or any number of different things. I didn't realize until a couple of years ago that social justice, the term social justice was actually, um, a coin phrased, uh, a a phrase coined, coin phrased, a phrase Mm -hmm. coined, um, as a replacement for traditional justice. And I didn't know that for a long time. And, And once I uncovered that and was like, okay, well then what is it? And I have an article, actually a couple of articles written on my website at chrismleg.com about it. But um, the concept, it's like so many of the other things that we run into these days. The concept is great. But what it's what it's actually now means within certain circles is not. Yeah. And so it's easy to agree with, you know, um, statements or slogans or logos or or whatever, and so, but but then there's a big difference between like saying something that we would say is absolutely, um, you know, fundamentally true because of the creation of humanity and the fact that humans are created in God's image. That you would say, for example, it's easy for a Christian to say that Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and even to emphasize, and sometimes they don't seem to the way they ought to in our culture or in certain populations, and that needs to be changed. Yeah. Like that's totally appropriate. And for Christians, that's easy to go, well, yeah, absolutely. How could I fix that? How do I change that? And how do I help that? And um, but that's a different thing than going to, you know, joining a movement and and signing on to everything that that movement agrees with. Yeah. And that's true about every almost every movement. And it makes it really hard um nowadays as we're, you know, when you're looking at uh, you know, if there's a if there's a ministry or a business that says, "Hey, we want to we want to reduce birth defects," mm-hmm. I'm okay, man. I I can get on board with that. Like, any what research can we do to reduce birth defects? Well, and then you find out that one of the main ways they want to reduce birth defects is by aborting babies with birth defects. Like, okay, so no, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the concept, I like what right. you're claiming. I'm all about. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I would love to back, but but then okay, you oh you file that under that heading. Yes. Oh, cause see, I can, I'm not okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I don't define the same thing. And so that's really tough. And this is one of those that originally social justice meant um, a society is just if there are no repressed peoples mm-hmm. versus traditional justice, which is a society is just if guilty people are found guilty and innocent people are found innocent at the individual level. And so um, that's what justice is. Justice is if, if I do something wrong then I may have to pay for that. And if I didn't do something wrong, I would not have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> That's why and we're going to talk about it Sunday. It's, it's such a fascinating, our model of justice should come from God, not from sociologists, not from psychologists, not from politicians, but from God. And in verse 17 is going to continue and say, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds. Well, okay, this is apparently what God thinks is the right way to handle justice, is to 
quote, judge impartially according to each one's deeds. Mm-hmm. That, that is the heading. That is what justice means. It means to be judged impartially based on deeds. And what's ironic is for a long time that was the stance before this kind of creation of social justice. So when you go back and, you know, quote Dr. King or someone saying, you know, I, I dream of a day when my children will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, that you would say, right, your children should be judged impartially based on their deeds, right, not the color of their skin. And that, and that what we just, uh, I will reference the, the uh, massacre that happened in Tulsa a hundred years ago. Um, and that was an example. The, that whole thing came from a man who was judged, appear, it appears, based on the color of his skin, not his deeds, and not the content. That's called injustice. So what needs to be, we don't need to change the definition of justice. What we need to do is yeah. find justice. Yes. And you were, you were mentioning just a second ago that, you know, we God's, I mean, especially in this passage, the impartial... Mm-hmm judgment according to somebody's deeds. You said that contrasting with kind of the sociologists or psychologists, what right. it, what is it that kind of the culture seems to be deviating to or promoting as far as justice? Are they right. not saying that? Are they saying no. they want it to be impartial in a certain way? No, they want okay. it to be partial. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. And so that was the, if you'll remember, um, a, great, a great test case, and I wrote about this, was the Brett Kavanaugh hearings okay. a couple of years ago where – you know, the accusation was made that he had been uh, he so, somewhere between been sexually inappropriate to sexually assaulted to been a sexual criminal um, for years of his life. Well, someone who espouses traditional justice, my answer was, and the fight was, because he's done these things, he shouldn't be a Supreme Court justice. And I, w- as someone who believes in traditional justice, I said I would have said, well, we need to find evidence, and if he did these things, it's not that he doesn't need to be a Supreme Court justice. It's that he needs to be in jail. Right. Like, it's it's not enough just to go, we don't want him on the ticket. It's We want him in a cell. And that's what I would have said. Like, well, if he did these things, if he's guilty of these things, he needs to be in a cell. I don't, not, not only do I want him as a a judge. Yeah, I don't I, want, I want him to be him in as a public. prisoner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. And so, because traditional justice would say, well, did he do this thing? If he, if he did, then he needs to be punished. If he didn't, then there shouldn't be any limitations on him. Right? Right. But social justice would say, but but men have oppressed women for generations. And and because women have not been listened to for generations, we must listen to the woman in this case because it's against a man. And that's social justice. We need to balance the scales between the oppression of women uh, and the oppressors traditional historically of men. And so traditional justice would say, no, what you need to do is, is, is judge this case correctly. Yeah. And if we judge all the cases correctly, we won't have to worry about this at the society level. Granted, it has not always been done correctly, and that's not, called, that's not because justice is broken. It's because that's injustice. Yeah. Um, justice works just fine. It's that humans aren't yeah, very we just are the, we, are, yeah, we are the ones that screw it up. Right. And so to say, well, what we need to do then is listen to this woman in this case because she's a woman and because the person she's crying out against is a man, I would say, no, that's what we should have always done in every individual case, and this individual case is another one of those individual cases. This isn't because I'm a man. 
it's because of what I believe philosophically about what justice is. And that's not defined by me. It's defined by passages like this in the Bible where justice is best defined by God, and we have the definition of how God judges. His justice is to judge impartially according to each one's deeds. And that's why the founders and why the creators of the justice system try to push for that. Um, so that's social justice would say because a population has been oppressed, therefore they should have an advantage when it comes to now the justice system, that they should, they should have an advantage, that, that justice should no longer be blind, as it's always been pictured, but justice should look and see this is an oppressed group, this person represents an oppressed group, so they should be considered advantageous in a justice situation over the oppressor group, not and it has not, and it's not about the individual. Whether Kavanaugh was personally guilty or not was less relevant in the just in the social justice system. In fact, it's irrelevant. Um, at the time when I asked somebody, when I said, "Okay, so let's compare then political figures," we have, you know, Bill Clinton, who was president, who was a sexual, probably a sexual, maybe a sexual criminal, certainly at least sexually inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And when we have this situation of Brett Kavanaugh, who is alleged to have been sexually inappropriate. So, so what's the concept? Like, how should we treat those? Why should we treat those differently? And the answer I was given was, well, Bill Clinton did a lot for women's rights for the whole society. And therefore he's a good guy, even though at the individual level, he may have been a bad guy. Brett Kavanaugh may be at the individual level, a good guy, but at the society level, he's a bad guy, so he should be treated as guilty. And that's what I was told. And I thought, that's that. there you go. That helps you understand that's the difference, is why would people from the past or even the present who have the same claims made against them, why would that not be equal? Well, because on the whole, they're good guys because they are fighting against oppression, according to certain people. It's a very, I'm telling you, I tried to teach this in Womenary a few times. Womenary, who is not entirely, like Womenary is a ministry, and a lot of the women who are involved have already been through a lot of education and training, and so yeah. they, they tend to be a little older. And not that's not at all universal, but just in a general sense. And, man, it is, it's hard to explain to a, an a East Texas population of people it's hard for me to wrap my brain around. I keep having to readjust my thinking and think, no, how do I think from the perspective of a social justice advocate? And it's hard for me because yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to even make that make sense to myself at times. Um, but that's what it comes down to yeah. is the oppressed group. Now in a just society by nature, there would not be oppressed groups when it comes to justice, mm-hmm. but there have been because, and but that's not because justice is broken. It's because we have been unjust. If that makes sense. Yeah. So if a guilty if a guilty person in Tulsa, I mean an innocent person in Tulsa, was killed, and then hundreds, if not thousands, of other African Americans killed or abused or terrorized because of it, that's injustice, and injustice always needs to be corrected. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's that's great. And then I I think then where my 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 brain goes is as Christians, how should we view? Um, you know, obviously we want we want to you know we want to share the truth in love. We want to be gracious. We want to seek reconciliation um, with our brothers. 
Right. I mean, no matter where we are or the color of our skin or whatever has happened in the past. Right. How do we navigate where the culture demands maybe some sort of like pandering or right. apologizing for something that happened a long time ago? It's like, I mean, obviously we, we could apologize, mm-hmm. but what, but where is like, obviously, and I, and again, this is kind of looking forward to your, your sermon as well. Right. We don't, we have the privilege to not just do bare minimum. Absolutely. You know, right. To not just tolerate things, um, but to real to call people to a higher standard, to love people, right. to show hospitality. And so, yeah, how would you address that within this conversation? That's great. I, I wish I had time this Sunday to do it again, and I probably will at some point. But um, before, I think before, Colson, you came, when you weren't here when we were teaching through John, were you? You came uh, when we were teaching through Daniel. Like, yeah, I was not on staff. We were coming to the church, but okay. uh, yeah. Re- <laughs> refresh my memory. Yep. So I actually just looked this up. Thank you, computers. Um, August 18th, 2019, I was preaching from John 17. And when I write on stuff like this, I always put it in verbatim so that I can say it because I want to write it very carefully. Yeah. Um. So I was referencing us the concept of reconciliation um, that that shows up in that passage. Um. So here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna just read the section that I wrote about the question of apologizing. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is the way you asked the question just then and a minute ago was was like, what about when society demands something of us? As Christians, I think we have to evaluate any demand of society yeah. for wisdom and righteousness. At some level, we don't care what society demands of us. I don't, I don't care what society demands of me. If I have the opportunity to do something that's right, I want to do it because it's right. I don't, I don't care that society is demanding it. And so I'm you. You would I'm a big fan of never uh, bending the knee to society. That that because it's demanded of us. But at the same time, if there's something that's morally right or appropriate, well then sure. I mean at that point we're like yeah. And again it goes back to that question of listen if if Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted somebody, slap cuffs on him, right. put him on trial, and throw right. him under the prison. Um, and so and if he didn't, then then we need to except that he didn't. Now, um, so here's what, here's what I wrote then. Um, no matter what society is demanding, what does Scripture call for? So here's, here's what I, I read from First Ephesians 2, uh, 15 and 16, that he might create himself one man in place of the two, so making peace, and reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile. So there's an ethnic difference there in Ephesians 2. Reconciling us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby killing the hostility. This, this, that passage, in my opinion, is, the, is an anchor passage for any type of distinction, especially ethnic distinctions. So I wrote, the way that so many churches are largely black or white or Hispanic is a sad consequence of sin. Um, often now it is a little more than taste or style or perhaps even culture or even proximity. But it comes from the sin of forbidding people of other colors or heritage from attending the church that you attended. And primarily that was white churches in rule or just in treatment, and that for years people of color needed a community respite from the injustice that surrounded their lives. Then I read from Matthew 5, so if you are off 523, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
First be, same word, reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So because I get the stage, I got to say this. Um, I love to thank service people for their service in the past. I can happily thank people who are long dead for many things. I appreciate those who have fought for freedom, justice, and biblical truth. Many of my ancestors were not those fighting against racial ethnic slavery. Wade Hampton III is a good example. According to family legend, he had some admirable qualities, like growing good facial hair. He has a phenomenal beard in the picture, <laughs> by the way, apparently. He hunted black bears with a knife as a young man, and as a senator in South Carolina, he opposed secession of the South. He was also one of the largest, he also had one of the largest population of slaves in America. He was a cavalry general for the Confederacy. After the war, he was at least strongly linked to the suppression of the black vote in South Carolina and possibly directly involved with it. As many as 150 African Americans may have been murdered during the 1876 gubernatorial campaign in which he became the governor. As an Episcopalian, don't you think he probably used the Bible to defend ethnic slavery? Was he one of those who thought black people were less than human? I don't know. If he were here today, would he see his error? Could he, and probably so, many other ancestors of mine understand their bigotry and hatred for what it was now if they were here, and they aren't here to apologize? If they had understood Scripture, life, and color as we do today, I would hope they would repent. I would hope they would apologize. He is not here, so I will apologize on his behalf. I am sorry um, for their behalves. They were wrong. My racist understandings have been and are sinful and unbiblical, um, even though I don't like the term racist. Um, I don't, there's only one race, human yeah, race. Yeah. But um, anyway, my, my racist understandings have been and are sinful and unbiblical. I repent of them on my behalf and in the name of my ancestors. I believe any of them that knew Christ will thank me in the New Jerusalem for doing so, and I eagerly seek forgiveness on their and will eagerly seek forgiveness on their own. I am profoundly saddened that none of them that I know of got it like some others did at the time. There have always been Christians who interpreted the passages of loving each other as good neighbors to apply to issues like loving other Christ followers no matter their melanin levels. See, I am because I am freed by Scripture to love brothers and sisters from all, quote, races, I get to share the great joy, the celebration Christ called us to experience in memory of him. My ancestors probably, in direct defiance of Paul's teaching in Ephesians 2, refused entry of people of other national descent into their church, and they cheated themselves of the blessing of experiencing here on earth Isaiah's feast for all nations, but not me. That's what I... That's what I decided was the biblically appropriate apology for the sins of the past. Was I am apologizing. One, I can apologize for mine. I mean, as a as a kid who grew up where I did, what you would call racist jokes or, or ethnic jokes or stuff like that certainly were passed around on the playground as a kid. But beyond that, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of overt and I haven't for a long time. I told my friend Stephen Young, I was like, I, I do not think as an adult I have heard anyone tell a racist joke in decades. Yeah. Not in my hearing. Now, that may be because I'm well enough known that, you know, same reason people try to not cuss around me because I'm right. a preacher. So maybe maybe it's just as bad as always and just no one's willing to say it in my hearing, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, is appropriate. Don't, don't say that stuff in my hearing. Yeah, yeah. I won't tolerate it. 
Um, but, uh, but I think in my mind, I get to be a representative of my ancestors who were wrong about some of these things. And anyway, so I got to do that and I don't know when it was, it was probably a year later that I wasn't just having lunch or hanging out or doing something with Michael Willis in the church. who's mm-hmm. African American. He's a, a deacon in the church. And he said, you know, I've never, I've never said anything to you about this and I should have, I, I cannot tell you how much it meant to me the way you handled that. It was like, just that, that you were willing to do that and to, you know, apologize not only for your, to repent of your sin, even if it's, you know, minor and then to be, to be willing to own, because I, I think there's a very good possibility that, I mean, I, I would assume there are going to be tens of thousands of slave owners all through the Western world who are believers who will be in heaven someday. And how horrified they must be to, to, to discover, oh my gosh, how wrong I was. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be stuff like that for all of us. But anyway, that struck me as the way to go about it. It's, I think, as Christians, through the ministry of reconciliation that we have, we can handle that kind of stuff in, in a way that's different and hopefully way more meaningful. I'm not submitting to some mob. I'm doing what I believe Christ would have me do. And that's that's where reconciliation comes in. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Chris, thank you so much for your time. And uh, if you have any thoughts on this, please send us an email at info at southspring.org. Hopefully we'll be back next week. Thanks so much. Be encouraged. <laughs>